0: Our sermon passage is Luke 24, verse 36 through 53. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you so troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning with Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them, and he was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God.
1: Our Father and our God, we we have one very simple desire that requires everything from you. Lord, we all want to believe in the resurrected Jesus and be changed by him. Lord, I want this room for the people to hear the word of the resurrected Jesus and believe and follow and love and serve and honor your holy name. Now, Lord, I, I can't accomplish this alone. We can't make these realities happen. We need the help of your Spirit. So Spirit of the living God, would you move in our midst today? we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't done so already, please take a Bible. There's some under the chairs in front of you if you didn't bring one today. Turn to the book of Luke, chapter 24. I have a bit of a chest cold, so there is a high, high likelihood that at some point in this sermon... I will sound like a middle school girl for a couple of moments. And if that happens, we're just gonna go with it, okay? So, here at Redeemer, for the last seven days, we've been celebrating Holy Week. The last week, remembering the last week in the earthly life of Jesus and the earthly ministry of Jesus. And so we started with Palm Sunday, Jesus entering Jerusalem to the cries of a king who brings peace. We remembered the Last Supper on Thursday. Good Friday, we focused very intently on his betrayal and arrest and suffering and death. And we left there Friday with a story of a... Dead Jesus buried in a tomb and a stone rolled in front of him. And today's message is this, very simply. So if you were drug here today and have no interest in listening to me for the next few minutes, I'm just going to give it to you right now. By the way, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're here. Jesus, the Son of God, is alive. And because he's alive, everything is changed. Because he's alive, everything is changed. Now, if you're doing logic, it's impossible to prove that everything is actually changed. So what I want to do this morning is I want to consider one passage. There are many, many more like this in the Scripture that reflects on The the real, tangible impact of a resurrected Jesus. So what I'm saying is this morning, we're gonna look at four very real, very clear results of the resurrection for the followers of Jesus. There are many more. But I am hoping and praying that these four will connect us more closely to the story of Jesus and cause us to walk more intently on the path that Jesus is leading us. So that's my hope this morning. So we're going to look here at the passage which Dylan just read for us, Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. So Jesus is alive. Everything's changed. Now in Luke 24... Chapter 23 ends with the death and burial of Jesus. Chapter 24 begins with the resurrection. So a story very similar to what Regina read for us earlier from John chapter 21. Then in the middle of Luke 24, there are a couple of guys just walking away from Jerusalem, wrestling with what's happened, and Jesus just joins them on the walk. They have dinner, and he reveals himself to them. And now we come to this passage in Luke 24. Um, And it says, as they were talking about these things, meaning the disciples were together. That John narrative says they were in the upper room, likely where they had shared the last supper, and the door was locked because they were scared. And Jesus shows up and says to them, peace to you. And then he asked, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now, before we get to the serious interpretation of this, one interpretation of this is that in, in the scripture, angelic beings ask the dumbest questions. Like they just show up in the middle of nowhere and say, Don't be afraid. Well, of course I'm afraid, right? Jesus just shows up and says, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Well, the other thing about the angelic beings is they're also always right, right? So when they show up and say, don't be afraid, like, you really have to dig into the original languages to understand that when the the Lord says, don't be afraid, it's because he knows that they are afraid. And so here, when Jesus says, why are you troubled? It's because he knows they're troubled. When he says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? It's because he knows their hearts are filled with doubt. And as the story unravels, the the doubting and the disbelief is going to continue until Jesus overcomes it. But one reality about the resurrection is peace for real trouble. Peace for real trouble. And I think for lots of reasons that I don't have time to get into today, when Christians, particularly pastors like me, talk about peace, we, we think about like tranquility light blues and soft pastels and um, mood music and everything is just hunky-dory. And I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about at all. When he says, peace to you, I think what he's saying is, there's real rest for your trouble. And there's real truth for your doubt. And I want you to find hope in me because I am alive. So yes, peace does mean an absence of storm, but but it it doesn't mean that the storm has to go away for us to say that we have peace. Like, think about this. If you're walking in a cancer diagnosis, can you have peace while you still have cancer? Yes. Yes. So the peace is a spiritual reality that Christ brings to his people, even in the face of trouble and doubt and hardship. So Christ enters into their trouble and their doubt, and he says, I want you to have peace. Now, now, again, let's, let's wrestle down the question. Why would they be troubled, and why would they have doubts? We have to ask that question. I don't think they had to ask it. I think they were sitting there and Jesus said, why are you troubled and why did doubts arise in your heart? And they're like, what? We left everything for you, everything. We left our homes, our families, our trade. We left everything to follow you because we believed you were the one who was gonna redeem and restore Israel. And last Sunday when we marched into the city and they threw down the coats and they threw down... The branches and they shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We thought this is it! It's going down and we're in the inner circle. Well, it was it. It was going down and they were in the inner circle, but not at all in the way that they thought. So they're literally sitting in a room fighting doubt, fighting fear, fighting unbelief, probably wrestling down some anxiety and depression, wondering. How did we get it so wrong? And when I go back to my family, who can I blame? Because we got it so wrong. And Jesus appears to them and he says, I want you to have peace. So this is not a hypothetical classroom exercise. This is real trouble, real doubt, In real people. And Christ says, my resurrection answers those things. And so what he does in verse 39 and following is is he says, like, touch me. Touch me. Touch my hands. See the nail holes? Touch my feet. See the nail holes? I'm real. You're not seeing a ghost. This is not an episode of Scooby-Doo. I am not pulling a mask off at some point in the middle of this. I'm real. I'm alive. And just to push it further, because it says in verse 41, they were still disbelieving, still trying to figure out joy and marveling. So he pushes it a little further and he says, let's have some fish. And so they eat a meal because again, he's alive. And so Christ has appeared to his people to say, my resurrection brings you peace, meaning in your trouble and your doubt, you can have confidence in me. Now, before we leave this point, let's, let's think about this a little bit more, because some of you might be listening right now and thinking this, man, that all sounds really good right there in Luke 24, and I'm glad you're happy here on Resurrection Sunday, but you have no idea what's going on in my house. You have no idea what's going on inside of me. You have no idea the trouble and the fear and the guilt and the shame and the doubt that I'm wrestling down right now. You have no idea. Well, you may very, very well be right. I may not know, but Christ is not out in left field when he says, my resurrection brings peace to all your trouble and all your doubts. Here's how the scripture would explain that. God created a world that was without defect, without flaw, without sin or death or decay. And the scripture tells us that that world was ruined by sin and sin brought death. Now, here's, here's the connection point for those of us that are doubting and struggling right now. Everything we're experiencing can be tied back to sin and death. Every single thing. Now, your hardships might not be rooted in your personal sin, but they might be rooted in the effects of sin playing out in a world and in families and in schools and amongst people. And death and decay, those two realities explain all. Of our hardship. They're the fountain of all hardship in the world. And so here stands Christ saying, I've defeated death. And I'm proclaiming to you that I've overcome the power of sin, which means I can heal and redeem and put back together all that's broken in you and in us and in the world. So to our troubles and doubts, Christ says, Peace I give to you. So I would just ask you today, as a follower of Christ, will you believe that his death and burial and resurrection addresses your troubles and your doubts and look to him for peace? Even knowing that might mean we continue to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But we look to Christ, so we have to fear no evil. That's Psalm 23, if you're new to the scripture. And if you're here today, not as a Christ follower, but one just kind of wondering, like what goes on with Christians? What do they really believe? It's really this. We really believe that the resurrection is that big of a deal. And we would want you to have your eyes opened to believe this as well. Second reality, second thing that's changed because Jesus is alive is that scripture is fulfilled. Scripture is fulfilled. Verses 44 and 45. Some of you are probably like, dude, it's about time you get to some theology. Fair enough. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you. But everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now notice what Jesus does here. In a few minutes, the passage is going to tell us that Jesus is sending these very disciples out to spread the word of his resurrection and build his kingdom. But he's not just sending them out with the dead dead man showed up at our party and said, go. But he's sending them out with his very words and an understanding that all the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms, pointed to him. And it says that supernaturally, he opened their minds and they saw it. They believed. So who was here Friday night for our Good Friday service? Okay, we're gonna do a little insider baseball for a minute, okay? We ended that service reading Isaiah 52 and 53, right? He was stricken. It doesn't say Jesus, it just says he was stricken, smitten, afflicted by God. Through his chastisement, we have been brought peace. So, like good Jews, they would have known Isaiah 52 and 53, and they would have been like, yeah, when's that guy gonna come? And what this says is, Jesus told them Isaiah 52 and 53 and passages like it and supernaturally he opened their eyes so while he's standing there teaching them they see That's about you. It was talking about what happened on Friday. That was about this. I I see. I believe. I'm changed. I'm transformed friends biblical truth is intended to move us to faith biblical truth is intended to move us to worship biblical truth is intended us to move us to see that Christ indeed is the center of all of God's work throughout all of history and if our biblical truth doesn't move us to faith and to worship and to wonder and to awe and to celebration we need the help of the spirit to open Our eyes. So, Christians, you can take verse 45. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. You can pray that. You can pray, Lord, would you open my mind and help me to understand the scriptures. And this might be the most tangible command I could give everyone here today. Pray verse 45. The Lord's real. His spirit is real. And any of us today who are followers of Christ are followers of Christ because the spirit opened our minds to understand. Third, Christ says that because he's alive, his disciples are a part of God's plan. Because he's alive, his disciples are part of God's plan. Man, this language is so misused in our culture. Like I used it on purpose to draw you in, but I'm, uh, like like when we talk about God's plan, that's just like the default, I don't want to deal with it way of just saying, well, everything happens for a reason and, I don't know what that means, but I'm just going to say it because I think that's what I'm supposed to say. Um, and then some of us, when I say you're a part of God's plan, we, we think like, oh yeah, God's plan was kind of like to hold me in a rocking chair and rock me and sing lullabies to me because he loves me that much. And Maybe, maybe not, but that's not what it talks about here. The plan is that God has a purpose and those who see the resurrected Jesus and have their eyes open are a part of the plan. We're not just recipients, we're participants in the plan. So look at this. This is in verses 46 through 49. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with the power from on high. Now, hear this. He says this was God's plan. The Christ, Jesus, God the Son, would come and live and suffer and die and the third day rise from the dead. Okay, got it. Second, repentance for the forgiveness of sins through the Christ would be proclaimed to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Okay, got it. And behold, I'm sending the promise of the Father upon you. So the Spirit of God is going to come to carry out the plan. Got it. Okay. So how's the plan going to go? It's verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. So did Christ die and rise again and redeem us because he loves us? Yes. Did Christ die and rise again because he wants us to be a part of his family forever? Yes. Did Christ live and die and rise again to right all the wrongs in the world and to heal up our wounds and to bind us up and and to make all things new? Yes. And he also died and rose again and opened my mind and your minds to understand the scriptures so that we would actively be witnesses of his and actively be a part of his plan that this gospel would go forward. The gospel is never intended to die with me or to die with you. It's intended to go forward through us. So everything the Lord's given to us is so that we would know him and we would go and be ambassadors and witnesses of all that he's done in us. So look out. We did all this demographic research. We moved in here five years ago, and I don't exactly remember all the numbers, but it is more than 2,000 homes within a one square mile radius of this building. So the Lord's placed us here for lots of reasons, but one of them is that we would be his witnesses all around here and wherever he has placed us. So he says, "Because Christ is alive and because you have been given the spiritual understanding to believe, you're a part of God's plan where the gospel will be proclaimed to all the nations. So let's see that the Lord has redeemed us and loved us and is healing us and sanctifying us and making us new for many reasons. But one of them is because he wants us to be a part of his work, a part of building his kingdom. We're not just passive participants. We're those who move along with the Lord. If you're like, hey, talk about that a little more. Actually at Redeemer, we're going to give the whole month of May to this one God has a plan and he's gonna use his people that the gospel will reach all peoples to the ends of the earth. Fourth, the resurrected Jesus formed a worshiping community. The resurrected Jesus formed a worshiping community. Look at verses 50 through 53. And when he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. So so Christ took them outside the city. He ascends into the heavenlies. Now notice what happens to them. They worshiped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. So the people of the resurrected and ascended Jesus, we're told, are characterized by worship, celebrating who God is and his greatness and what he's done for us, joy, true joy, and gathering for the purpose of worshiping and celebrating God. Jesus formed a worshiping community which simply says this. He didn't form us to live individualistic in an individualistic faith bubble, but he formed us to be melded into a community where we would pursue and celebrate him together. Um, my family, we spend a lot of time at sports fields, and they have developed this thing. So, so, so at first we all sat on bleachers. Then we all brought our own chairs because bleachers are uncomfortable and too close to people, right? And then it started raining so we'd bring umbrellas and now they have like your own personal bubble. It's a chair in plastic that covers you. It makes a little house. Like think like the book of Jonah here, okay? It makes a little house And then has a zipper on the front. So if you want to, you can zip all the other people out and you just have your little bubble to watch your children's sport. I have no moral judgments on the sports bubble. That's up to you. But I'm telling you, that's not the people that Jesus is building. We're not intended to be isolated Christians in the bubble chair with the walls zipped up. Jesus is building a worshiping community, which means the worship of God is part of how we walk in his ways. The gathering of God's people is part of how he's going to work in us. I love private Bible study. I love private prayer. I love private ministry. I love family Bible study. I love family prayer. I love family ministry. But this is speaking of something Broader than even that, it's a community pulled together by the work of the resurrected Jesus. Now, our list could go on and on and on and on. But this passage tells us that the resurrection means that there's real peace for our real trouble. The scriptures are fulfilled and true and can be st- stood upon and believed because of Jesus That Christ has a plan and his redeemed disciples are a part of that plan to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that we've been formed into a worshiping community rather than into individualistic isolation. So what I want you to do today. One, I want you to consider the story of Jesus. If you want to consider this theme more, you can read from the end of Matthew The end of Luke, the end of John, the beginning of the book of Acts, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There are lots of places you can lean into this theme of um, the power of the resurrection for the people of God. So lean into it, consider it. And And so the first response is connect to this Story. See that this story about God's son connects to real life, and where you find the connection, believe what he says, trust in him, turn away from your sin, and turn toward him. The Bible calls this faith. Second, once you find the connection to the story, walk in the story. Let your life, as much as possible, be shaped by the work that Jesus has told us he's doing. Bring your troubles and your doubts to him and ask him for peace. Read the scriptures to know and understand who he is and how God has worked through him. Live your days to walk in repentance and faith and Take repentance and faith to others and move into and move with the body of Jesus, the worshiping community. And then call others to join you in this walk of following Christ. This is our response to the resurrection today, our Father and our God. We pray now you would take these words that have been spoken, and as much as they're true, as much as they're right, as much as they are words that you would use, we pray that you would bear much fruit through them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.